0: Battleground Productions presents Brass, the audio series, episode 24, the Department of Topography and Statistics. The year is 1885, but not one that would be familiar to you. In many ways, the Paris of this world is very similar to our own, romantic and adorned with the astonishing art and architecture of the early years of the Belle Epoque, with the glories of the Eiffel Tower still blueprints on a drafting table. Yet thanks to the work of some of their greatest visionaries, including the renowned inventor Jules Verne, the heart of Paris also contains the Ledger, the largest analytical engine on the continent, whose size nearly dwarfs the considerable L'Observatoire de Paris, located directly across the street. On this November afternoon, on a narrow alley off of La Rue Mouton d'Urvenay, Four men find themselves facing a particularly tall, though thoroughly unremarkable, office building.
1: Here it
2: is, Father. One thirty-two room morgue.
1: Yes, that's it. And what apartment? Six twenty-two. Six floors up. I hope there's a lift. Alas, no. Race you to the top, Lord Whitestone!
2: Absolutely, Cyril Brass. Ah, youth. Shall we proceed at a more leisurely pace, Mr.
1: Grassley? If you don't mind. So, Mr. Grassley. Conrad, please. As you wish, Conrad.
2: The fixed wing craft I saw Lord Whitestone flying, is it true it was of your own invention?
1: It was, sir. Well... A modification of several other models, including the Butteridge fixed-wing fliver.
2: I'm curious. Do you have any idea what happened to Mr. Butteridge?
1: Presumed lost at sea, sir. Or someplace else. He was a somewhat haphazard aviator.
2: Is it the first such aircraft you've created?
1: First? No. Lord Whitestone has been enthusiastic to try no less than eight of our fixed-wing aircraft. Power? He is my chief investor. What's more, his natural affinity for piloting and his uncanny ability to survive some fairly problematic flights and hazardous landings has been invaluable.
2: And you are the designer for each of these
1: aircraft? That's right. Though I've learned a lot from the great aeronauts before me, like Butteridge and George Cayley, I've a set of notebooks full of designs that I've sketched down in the last two years. Thanks to Lord Whitestone's generosity, I've managed to bring them off the drawing board. And into the skies? For various durations of time, yes. Extraordinary. If I could ask,
2: what are the primary obstacles to successful creation and manufacture of your designs?
1: Qualified machinists, of course. It takes more than the village blacksmith to create specialty parts. And even when your machinists are good... It takes a beastly long time to get them properly calibrated, much less find dedicated men and women to work on them. You would employ women? You don't need brute strength to operate a machine. You need perseverance, intelligence, and a discerning eye. And in my experience, these are qualities that most women possess, but few men do. Ha!
2: That is a truth. You know, I have sometimes thought that the difference between women and men is the difference between cribbage and nine men's morris. Only I'm not always sure which we are and what they are. Certainly, whatever game it is that has more rules to keep track of, that's the ladies' game. Yet, come to think of it, I've played both games with my wife, and she
1: absolutely demolishes me at in both. Indeed. Lord Brass... Uh, yes? How many more stairs... You're almost there. Thank goodness. Best
2: to leave the steep ascents to the fixed wing craft, eh, Grassley?
1: Indeed. And here we are.
2: Wonderful. Shall I knock? No,
1: just head straight in.
0: Bonjour.
1: Bonjour. What is this place? This is the Department of Topography and Statistics. I have an appointment
2: with Mr. Carter.
0: Oui, monsieur. Please, if you gentlemen will follow me. In here, if you please.
2: Merci. D'accord. I am hopeful that my message was received
1: through the proper channels. Lord Brass, that woman just locked us in. Did she? She did. Oh. Best for us to wait here, then. Aren't you concerned about being held in here? Not particularly. What's that?
2: I expect it's our conveyance.
1: It could be a death trap. The, the room is... Moving, yes. Downwards. Exciting. Well, is this what you expected? Something like this, yes.
2: It's been years since I visited the Paris branch of the department, and that was a different location. What's the one like in Vienna, Father? Something similar, but it descends to the sewers. You. Does this one? I don't know, to be honest. Huh! What's that? The walls. They're covered with human skulls and bones. Again? You? One of the old ossuaries, I expect? I've never cared for ossuaries.
1: And
3: here we are. Ossuary Central! Benjamin! Cyril! Abed! I was so very glad to receive your message. Reports had reached us that this time you and your family had truly perished. And who are these fine gentlemen? Abed El-Katar meet Mr. Conrad
2: Grassley and Lord Whitestone. I am also known as Tucknor, King
3: of the Ape People. I am delighted to meet you both. Cyril, when I saw you last, you were scarcely out of your sailor suit.
1: It, it has been some time, Mr. Qatar.
3: A bed, please.
1: Excuse me, might I ask, what is this ghoulish place? Ah,
3: my apologies. You see, when we were seeking an office, discretion was of utmost importance. Thanks to some Parisian contacts, I learned that this place was available and unlikely to be disturbed by prying eyes.
1: This place is your office?
2: As I told you, Mr. Grassley, this is the Department of Topography and
3: Statistics. Benjamin, you are being cryptic. Appropriate enough for a crypt, yes.
2: Uh, This place really is quite ghastly. It's quite simple, Mr. Grassley. In the early years of my career in British intelligence, our operation was known as the Department of Topography and Statistics, which, if you'll think about it, summed up rather neatly our main areas of concern, maps and information. After my first decade in the service, there was a shake-up, and the department was transformed into the present Ministry of Intelligence.
3: Yes, only some of us decided that it might be advantageous to continue our contacts outside of the old structure, as well as maintain a few offices here and there where they might be useful.
1: You mean, you're a spy?
3: Oh, absolutely!
1: I had always thought of spies as... Grubby little men who sell secrets. Some of them are.
3: Oh, do not disparage the fine and ancient art of espionage, Mr. Grassley. There is nothing dishonorable in spying.
1: Nothing dishonorable?
3: A good spy can save the lives of a thousand soldiers or halt nations on the verge of war. I'm a man of peace who regretfully has often been in battle. And let me tell you, spying is better, for information is more powerful than bullets. And as
2: Proverbs says, by way of deception thou shalt conduct war.
1: So, this is a sort of spy ring? More of a spy
2: network within a spy... network.
3: I prefer to think of it as a continuation of cherished friendships. Hmm.
1: And which government are you all working for?
3: Currently none. We view this work as extracurricular.
1: None of my associates
2: with ties to British intelligence have any idea I'm alive. You may have heard some of the news from home. Some, yes. Well, whatever you heard, I'm afraid my sources say it's worse. This Trent fellow leads a party that if they take power, and I feel they will, shall bring a dark curtain down upon our nation and our empire. And I've come to believe that it's linked to the man who tried to kill us by dropping the bomb in Mayfair. If that's true... What can be done? That's what we're here to determine, Mr. Grassley. And fortunately for us, you are very much, as I suspect, going to be integral to our plans. I? If you can believe in our cause, that is.
3: Now, Benjamin, you have told me that you have need of particular contacts? I bet.
2: As I have said, I need a brilliant technologist, a discreet factory owner and a contact to foreign revolutionaries.
3: Mm, What would you say when I tell you that I know all three? Let me meet them. Ah, I should have been more clear. I know one man who is all three. His name is Dr. Henry Jones, and he's the only man I know who might give you a run for your money, Benjamin, when it comes to ingenuity. Can you arrange an introduction? It would be a distinct pleasure. Now, come. We've much to talk about, and I've prepared some coffee with dates and dried fruit. As I remember, Cyril, you've quite an appetite. Thank you, Abed,
0: but the surroundings have curbed my hunger. I see. Unless you have some of those sweet Arabian biscuits. Mamoul, I do indeed. Well then, if you don't mind, could I have a seat with a view of the fewest human bones as possible? From the depths of the Paris catacombs, let us now shift our gaze to England, or more precisely, a little more than a mile from its shores, the deck of the SS Brunel, but recently departed from Dover. On the ship's rail, staring out through the grey mist, at the rapidly disappearing white cliffs, is a middle-aged man in an inconspicuous brown suit. As he gazes out in contemplation, a young woman, her dress drab but tidy, approaches him.
4: Excuse me? Yes? You're English, are you not?
0: I
5: am.
4: I thought you must be. You look, well, very English. In a distinguished way.
5: Thank you, I suppose.
4: I'm Model Sullivan. I'm well Irish, as you might have guessed.
5: I might have. I'm Mr Appleton.
4: Pleased to meet you. Sorry for being so forward, but I I thought, well, you look trustworthy.
5: Oh, I don't know about that.
4: Oh no, I could tell right away. I'm very good judge of character.
5: Well, I,
4: Mr. Appleton, am I correct in thinking that you were recently in London?
5: I. Why do you ask?
4: I was on the train from London. And I saw you from the station.
5: Well, I wasn't really in London, just passing through. I'm from York, you see.
4: Oh my. Is York Minister as grand as they say?
5: Shows what a well-organised bunch of Yorkshiremen can do when they put their minds to it.
4: I would so have liked to have seen that.
5: There's always time.
4: Oh, there is. Only I don't know when next I'll be back in England.
5: Oh? Emigrating, are you?
4: I suppose I am. We'll see what life in France might be like.
5: Oh? Paris is quite lovely.
4: Quite a fast city, Paris. I don't think my mother would approve. But there are other places in France, aren't there? Anyhow, somewhere that isn't England.
5: Well, Why is that?
4: As you've noticed, Mr. Appleton, I'm not English. And in the last few months, I found that my attempts to work and live in England were increasingly difficult due to my being Irish.
5: Is it such a barrier?
4: Well, considering that the rich now have automatons for practically all their domestic chores, it's hard enough finding work. And with Lord Trent and the Conservatives, it's all becoming much worse. England for the English. That's what the bully boys all cry when they come to the East End. And it's all of us that they want out.
5: Things are changing right enough
4: wouldn't think that all it would take would be crossing the Straits of Moyle to make you some sort of undesirable pest. But there you are.
5: I'm sorry to have your troubles, Mrs. Sullivan.
4: Please. It's mod. Now, why are you on your way to the continent? Is it business?
5: Less business and more dissatisfaction with my current employer.
4: Oh, really? Is it the wages or the conditions?
5: Neither, I suppose. I believe we've, we've just come to a philosophical parting of the ways.
4: Philosophically?
5: It seems to me that he's decided to move into a different way of doing things. A different business plan, if you will. Now, me, I'm something of a traditionalist. I learned my trade a certain way, and I'm happy to keep doing it as I learned it.
4: And that's not good enough for him.
5: No, it isn't. He's always giving me new and different tasks, but never an explanation as to why. Hmm. He's got grand ideas and plans, but he's not one for sharing them. And me, I like to know where I am and what I'm doing. So I've, I've decided it's best to strike off on my own.
4: I can see you're a man of determination and will.
5: That I am, Maud. That I am.
4: Do you have hopes for employment on the continent?
5: I do, Indeed. There's them that will pay well for a man of my experience. I'm
4: sure that's true.
5: I've learned a great deal from my last employer, and that makes me a person of some value to my next, I should think.
4: I should say.
5: Or I may set myself up on my own. It's been a bit since I've had my own establishment, but I'm still healthy and strong, and the best thing about working for yourself is that you might actually like the boss. <laughs> no.
4: Dear Mr Appleton, you're quite a wit.
5: You may call me James, if you like.
4: Then I shall, James.
5: You know, Maud, there might be a place for a pretty Irish lass in my new establishment.
4: My, do you think so?
5: Why don't you come a mic closer, so we can discuss it?
4: I'm glad to. Yet I feel it's best that I tell you something first.
5: What is that, my pet?
4: Your old employer? The one you had a fallen out with? Yes? He sends his regards, Mr. Crawford. Oh, Oh, I'm grateful for you for leaving a vacancy, seeing as I'm the most likely candidate to fill it.
0: As the fatal agent of the Crime Minister peers over the rail, she sees the form of her predecessor briefly in the wake of the ship, before vanishing in the mist. With such ruthless actions being taken on their own people, what sort of fate shall England suffer if the plans of these villains should come to fruition? For the answer to this foreboding question, join us for the next episode of Brass. Brass is manufactured by Battleground Productions and features Kate Cray as Lady Brass, Charles Leggett as Lord Brass, Catherine Grant Sutty as Gwendolyn Brass, and Jeremy Adams as Cyril Brass, with Larry Albert, Margie Bickman, Lisa Carswell, Yusuf Elgindi, Nancy Fry, Ronnie Hill, Philip Keeman, John Longenbar. Matt Middleton, Terry Edward Moore, Tad Morgan, and Nikki Vissel. Brass was recorded at Seattle Voice Academy, engineered by Shauna Pennington Bard and Chris Lea, with sound designed by Kirsty Gilmore and music composed by Bruce Monroe. It was written and directed by John Longenbar. For more information on Brass, go to battlegroundproductions.org, find us on Facebook and Instagram, and to support us, fund us on Patreon and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts.